We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. A very talented and witty performer with more than 150 credit listings on IMDb as an actor, Today's guest, James Urbaniak, has brought to life such memorable characters as Dr. Venture on Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers, the scene-stealing Arthur on Hulu's Difficult People, and Grant on Comedy Central's Review. Additionally, he's also a podcaster in his own right and the creator of the scripted shows Getting On with James Urbaniak, A Night Called Tomorrow, and I Will Never Lie to You. James, thank you so much for returning. I always have the best time talking movies with you. How are you doing? Thank you, Jen. It's always good to be here and talk about movies. (laughs) I know. It's always so fun. How's the year going so far? Oh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. uh, In in February, I was in Oregon doing a really fun independent film uh, called Breakup Season, which uh, I had a really great time doing. I loved uh, all the photos you were posting from Oregon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. I posted some. We were shooting in a small town called La Grande, which is on the uh, opposite side of the state from Portland. Okay. It's on the east side of the state. And uh, it's uh, it had a lot of charm to it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anything <clears throat> else you've been working on that you want to give us a sneak preview of? Anything we should be on the lookout for? Uh, well, the main thing I think is, uh, as you know, I was on the Venture Brothers for many years, and that's basically coming to an end. But we are uh, coming out with a sort of feature-length uh, finale. So there's a uh, we're calling it a movie because it's feature-length, and uh, it kind of ties up all the loose ends, hopefully, and brings back some old characters. So I don't know exactly. I can't quite say when it's going to be dropping but it will be sometime this year <laughs> okay and uh excited about that that's, that's sort of the, cool. the big thing coming up and i've seen it and it's very good it's a great it's a great movie Ooh, good to know well this is the first time i'm seeing you since we actually hung out last summer which was very that's fun. right we we yes. had an actual 
IRL uh, uh Yes, as the kids meeting. say. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I know. No screens needed. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of crazy because through the conversation, we realized we had missed each other by like 24 hours at the same record store, which was bananas. Oh, there you go. Yes. In LA. So <laughs> have you found any cool... I know you just found the Robert Mitchum one back then. Have you found any... New oh, right. Uh, in yeah. fact, in Oregon, I bought, I went to, a, there was a, a lot of local people were helping out on the movie. And there's a scene that takes place in a hobby shop. And there's actually a guy who has a sort of all purpose record store, thrift store uh, type place that, that, and the, uh, the guy who is the manager of that place actually acted in the movie quite well, I may add, wow. playing a clerk in the store. Very so cool. I met him and then he had a great, wonderfully curated collection of books and records. And I did get a couple of things. Uh, Janet, are you familiar with the 1970s comedy, audio comedy troupe, the Firesign Theater? No. Well, they're great. Okay. They're kind of pre, they're sort of uh, years before sort of uh, scripted podcast comedy. They were doing a really original, somewhat surreal audio comedy. Uh and I listened to them a lot when I was in high school. I bought their LPs. I think they had started out in radio in like okay. California or something. And they did this really inventive, very, very funny stuff. And they also have a great fondness for sort of old time media. So some of their stuff is like they have like a noir parody and references to old movies and things. And they do all these different voices. They were actually a big influence on me in terms of doing voices and, and characters and things. So he had a couple of their albums, which I haven't listened to wow. in decades. So I bought a couple of those. Treasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, now and then I'll add to the record collection. Yeah. Or yeah, it comes full circle. This is people who inspired you and you just found the records. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yes. Well, in the past, we tackled actors. We did Charles Lawton, which was really good because um, it inspired me to actually seek out more work from Charles Lawton, all those 1930s yes. movies. I think I'd only seen one of them. So that was incredible. And then last summer, we tackled Faye Dunaway, who's Patrick amazing. Faye Dunaway. And we decided to do a filmmaker this time. And I thought you really chose a great idea with George Stevens because you know, he's a Hollywood filmmaker, a legend who kind of did it all. I mean, he's he the one who did the, the I think, the one and only color footage of World War II. That's but right. also over here, he kind of worked in all genres. His movies kind of reflected what was going on in America and our attitudes. And so there's a lot to that. You can't um, maybe look at some of his like comedies and some of the dramas and imagine it was the same filmmaker. So I thought this was a really great idea to look at George Stevens. What is it about Stevens that appeals to you? I think I probably the first one I saw probably was many years ago was Giant. Yes, I think that uh, which, might have been uh, mine too. And I think, um, I think I, uh, I really liked it, but I, I do have a couple of issues with that movie, which we can talk about later. <laughs> yes, yeah, there are a few. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, but um, and then I just would sort of over the years, I think I would see a movie and like it, and then realize it was a George Stevens movie. Yeah, yeah and then years would go by. I think I saw the. Um, the more the merrier, like a, a few years ago, and really enjoyed that. And then, love it. And then I, I think what happened was I I saw a place in the sun. Uh, 
Gosh, I think probably for the first time only a, a few years ago. And it's such a, an amazing movie. And yes. I was like, okay, well, this George Stevens fellow <laughs> got his name on a bunch of films that I really like. Oh, my cat is walking over my computer right now. It's <laughs> These things happen. Yes. Um, and then I noticed, because earlier you said it's hard to believe he directed all these the same films because he worked in so many genres, comedy, musicals, westerns. Yes. Uh, um, but once you once you yeah. watch a lot of his films and pay attention to them, you notice that there are yes, some patterns. elements mm-hmm. and patterns and things that interest him that kind of exist in all the genres. Yes. Uh, like any artist. Mm-hmm. So you'll see things in the comedies, that, but you'll also see things in the dramas that kind of parallel that, the way he stages things. Uh, he's kind of the whole package. And uh, he really I think, is. yeah, I think he's kind of, I was thinking about this and I think sort of the contemporary one director that he resembles is Spielberg because. Oh, interesting. I can see that actually. Yeah. And there's also an interesting career path where they both started out doing these big entertainments. They're both very good at staging action. Yes. Uh, and sort of crowd pleasing sequences like that. And then they got interested in, for lack of a better word, more serious topics later on. Yep. Uh, as they got older, uh, but they're they're both like the whole package. They, they're both just filmmakers from the ground up. They know how to stage stuff. They're both really good with actors. Uh, yeah. So they remind me of each other uh, in a lot of ways. They do, and you see how Spielberg was influenced by Gunga Dean and some of these oh. other films. That Stevens I mean, you can't. Made. It's yes. the Indiana Jones franchise wouldn't exist without Gunga Dean. No. Oh, it's, not it's, at all. It's, it's so informs those, especially uh, uh, Temple of Doom, for better or worse, I may add. But <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, one hundred percent. That uh, that really uh, is such an influential movie. Yes, and they're both uh, hardworking. They kind of you know went from the ground up, learning their trade. George Stevens was the son of two actors, and I believe he had an uncle who was a director, another one who Mm -hmm. was a cinematographer. So he kind of had a varied um, background in stage and got into filmmaking and kind of learned to um, look at film differently and um, also left his mark with uh, Stan Laurel. He was able to figure out the right kind of film process to capture those blue eyes that were eluding other people trying to do it. Yeah. I let, that's a funny story yes. where uh, when at uh, the Hal Roach studio, Stan Laurel's eyes weren't registering on film <laughs> because of the shade of blue they were. Yeah. And Stevens figured out some sort of filtering process or something to make them register. Yes. And then he like pan chromatic. <laughs> I, I yeah, didn't yeah. know. Yeah. And then he, he, he started out at Roach as like a cameraman, and then yeah. he ended up working on a bunch of Laurel and Hardy movies as a DP and as a gag writer. And he has said that that was a huge influence. He always spoke very highly of Laurel and Hardy. And I That's... tell you, he, he never misses a joke, Stevens. He always no. he always finds the humor in something. Even in the dramas, he'll find where the humor is. Yeah. And you can 100% see the influence of Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Yes. In his, in his later works. Yeah. And he always kind of looked for the gentle human side of comedy. That was sort of his thing. Yeah. So the director's two most important tasks were giving structure to the story and creating believable characters. So he wanted that realism first. And that's where he found the comedy. 
you and yeah. I, when we were tackling some of these movies, we initially thought of Woman of the Year, which we didn't love as much on a revisit. But that last sequence, the oh my God. making breakfast is one of the funniest things he ever directed. And yes. that is quintessential Stevens, because for those who haven't seen it, Catherine Hepburn is a career woman, as they used to say. Yes. Uh, she's an internationally famous journalist, a woman of the world. <laughs> and and they both and she works for the same newspaper as Spencer Tracy, who of course is a sports writer and a yeah. regular Joe. And that's also the first time they were in a they yeah. teamed up, mm-hmm. which is so they Historic. became a huge yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh and uh the movie's fine, but there's a sequence at the end where she decides, well, I, I need to learn how to domesticate myself somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never cooked before because I'm a privileged person and people have always cooked for me mm-hmm. and I should cook for my husband. So she decides to make breakfast for him and then everything goes wrong. She puts too much yeast in the thing and she doesn't yeah, have it. She's never even made it co- stuck together. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a great gag where like she opens the fridge and then the, <laughs> the breeze from the fridge opening blows a page of the cookbook, but she doesn't notice it. And mm-hmm. the whole thing is and so it's all these things going wrong, which it's actually very slapsticky and silent movie-ish. And there's no score yeah. during the sequence, which is no. another thing he'll do. Mm-hmm. Also, in Shane and all the fight scenes, there's no score. There's just sounds of the environment. Yeah. But uh, and then it, there are just the and the other thing about Stevens is he really takes his time with stuff. Patient. He really lets scenes evolve, yes. and he mm-hmm. understands how that can be very funny. So it's just a slow progression of this disaster where the coffee is boiling over and the waffle maker was like bubbling up and. Yes. And Spencer so Tracy many- wanders in and just kind of looks at everything with a slightly bemused expression. <laughs> but I you kind of have to see it. It's really just a masterful piece of comedy. Uh, and clearly is. goes right back to his early days mm-hmm. doing uh, like two reelers with Laurel and Hardy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And you pointed out so many of the jokes and how it does take its time. You need some patience and he allows these things to sort of breathe. I love how you do see the coffee and the yeast and you don't know what is going to go wrong first because there's so many (laughs) balls in the air. And that's kind of a great uh, thing with comedy is that way you can't predict where the joke, you know, it's going to hit, but you're not sure which one will hit first. And the thing is like, you know, too much yeast and these things, these are old comedy staples he's not reinventing anything no here. no but he has such a specific rhythm mm-hmm. and this is part and all and and uh composition too and that's he has a very specific sort of rhythm and pace that he uses in everything mm-hmm. and he uses it in that and in that way he sort of reinvents this old gag of oh the lady put too much yeast in the yes in the thing <laughs> <laughs> and he makes it original and really like surprisingly hilarious so so funny oh my goodness yes but chronologically the films that we chose for today are gunga dean the more the merrier a place in the sun shane and the diary of anne frank so we're kind of going throughout his career we should probably kick it off with gunga dean which was totally new to me for whatever reason i had not seen this film loved it the action sequences are incredible. I can see they why really Ryan are. Johnson said it was like one of four or six movies he made his whole cast and crew watch when he shot the new oh, Star Wars film. Yeah. Well, it has why. such a, it's just a, a really fun adventure story. It is. And it's true. I'd never seen it until uh, uh, like this last year. Oh, wow. Uh, either. Okay. That's part of because I was getting into a Stevens thing. And then when, yeah. when we, then I thought, oh, well, obviously we'll do Stevens when I do Jen's show because 
I had just been fallen into a George Stevens hole. Yeah. But yeah, it um it really is a kind of template for a certain kind of action adventure that still holds up. And this is the other thing with him. He's really something. He's he's a he does so many things well. Mm-hmm. So he's a he's he's great at like subtle drama, but he's also a kick-ass action director. My and the gosh, sequences yeah. in that movie haven't dated a second. Like they really hold up. No, <laughs> they are just the movie's from nineteen to thirty-nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when we go off rooftops and then off the side of a mountain, I mean, that fight scene or the first huge one just keeps yeah. going for several minutes. It keeps going. And there's a sense of mayhem and violence yes. that there is. he really creates the illusion that something out of control is happening when, of course, fight scenes are incredibly controlled and rigorous. Oh, yes. In movies, you know, you don't want anyone to get hurt. But he's really good at staging them. Even the the, the introduction of the three... Yeah, sergeants. You know, it's based on the Rudyard Kipling poem about like sort of it's like colonialist Britain in yes. India, <laughs> and uh, there there are many dated aspects to to it, oh, including sure. the fact that Gunga, the title character and the main uh, East Indian character, is to play by white actors in brownface. But that's just an inevitable <laughs> convention of that time. Yes. Uh, but um, the introduction of the three boys, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cary Grant. Uh, um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and uh, the great um, uh, what's his face? Uh, <laughs> I'm blinking as well. <laughs> oh, no, no, I have his name in front of me. Uh, uh, Victor McLaughlin, the great okay. Victor McLaughlin, are the three uh, the three uh, soldiers, sergeants yeah. who have to go on this mission to uh, a district where the telegraph wires have been cut down to see what's going on. They're not in communication. Yeah. And we, in, when we're introduced to them, we we discover that they're sort of lovable rogues. They're yes. they're they're getting into a fight with some guys who sold them a, a treasure map that wasn't accurate, and uh, and so there the movie begins introducing them with a comical fight mm-hmm. where we see them peer out a window of a building and they're fighting these guys, and these are two elements that continue throughout Stephen's filmography are men fighting, yes. Which, which is a motif that keeps coming up, mm-hmm. having physical altercations, and windows. He loves windows. If you think about he these does. films, yes. almost to a film, there's always some very interesting shot where a character is in a window or outside a window or we're, lo- we're looking through a window. That's that's something I noticed that he really likes to use. Yeah, um, frames within frames. Yeah, Frames within frames. So. So right off the bat, we have uh, two quintessential Stevens elements, windows and a fight at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then um, there's a slapstick element to the first fight, which obviously goes back to his comedy days, like Harry Grant gets hit over yeah. the head with a chair, and then he's completely mm-hmm. unfazed, which feels very slapstick comedy. Yeah. Um, by the way, a gag which is repeated later in Chain, where... Uh, um, uh, uh, the character of Joe gets a chair thrown over him during a, a fight and is also unfazed. So Stevens yes. knew <laughs> Stevens had a bunch of stuff that he knew would work repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then there's a um, the other thing that he does is he has a wonderful uh, rapport with actors, and he's he really also does. very good at creating um, real feeling of spontaneity and mm-hmm. almost improvisational. Uh, qualities 
And the, the three leads in this, uh, Victor McLaughlin, Cary Grant, and Douglas Fairbanks Jr., have such great chemistry. They're such, you know, they're such a great trio. They all have their own distinct personalities, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, they really work. They do. Yeah. This movie, he said, taught him so much. And he loved that it was the excitement of necessity of relying on yourself and your only responsibility he realized was to the audience, not to the studio, because the studio wanted to take the film away from him. They were seeing um, scenes and thinking some of it was too broad and some of it was way yeah. too melodramatic. And how was it all going to hang together? And um, he, you know, was going massively over budget. It was over a million dollars. I mean, they wound up making, it was a monster hit and they made yeah. money on it, but it's the most expensive film that RKO had ever made. But I read that he would never argue with anyone. He would just say, yes, you're exactly right. (laughs) Right. And then get off the phone and then just do it his own way again. And then do what he wanted. Yeah. Yes. But make everything feel like collaboration. And so he was kind of a master at that. And I think, you know, this film does show that he is starting to play with all of these elements and work really well with his cast and kind of, um, you know. Yeah, it's fun to know. see uh, yeah. uh, Joan Fontaine. The same year that yes. she did, the same year she did Rebecca, as a much, a much smaller role, uh, playing the love interest of uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Yes. Uh, yeah, a role that I mean, there are differing stories about it. I guess um, Cary Grant wanted to switch with Fairbanks, or there's right that a coin might have been flipped or else Cary Grant talked him into yeah I've heard that story that they were like they were interested in each other's roles yes and Stephen said flip a coin (laughs) (laughs) and that's how it came out but I love and Cary Grant is like uh sort of delightfully goofy in it he's he's playing this sort of very over the top sort of boyish enthusiasm he is uh and um yeah it's really great and there are just you know, I mean, a Temple of Doom, of course, owes so much to it because there's this whole plot yeah. about like the death cult. Uh, it's Absolutely. the same. It's the same death cult that like worship the goddess Kali. Yeah. And uh, also, there's a, a fight sequence where the three of them jump off a cliff, which the cliff jump in Butch uh, Butch Cassidy yes, the Sunday. Out of that right it away. It is 100 an homage to that. Yeah, uh, William Goldman loved this movie. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. that's he's doing a shout out. To oh Gundy yeah, and that's in that scene. One hundred percent. Yeah, he also wrote like Temple of Gold or something like a total. Yeah, so this right. was a huge favorite. But the sequences are great. Uh, another masterful sequence is sort of a very Spielbergian combination of tension and comedy, where they're crossing a bridge and their elephant yes. wants to walk on the bridge, and they're mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a rickety. It's a rickety rope bridge, and uh, they're they're panicked that the elephant is going to knock it down. Uh, and it has genuine tension to it. It really does. And it's also really funny. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's sort of half freaking sorcerer and half just extremely funny, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saturday matinee, yeah. This but, was kind um, of finding, you know, how to make these great entertainments. And then he returned back to comedy again with the more the merrier which i love that film so much and i know you just watched i watched it around the holidays i think it was in that screwball collection on criterion and i know you just watched it as well yeah i had um because we had talked about what 
the list was going to be in. And then I, this wasn't on our original list. No. Uh, though we always touch on things that are not in the list. So I had watched everything that was on the list. And then I thought, well, let me just watch a couple other Stevens movies. Yes. And I thought, I, I don't think I've seen this. And then as I'm watching it, I remembered that I had seen it before. Yeah. Ago. But it is a world-class comedy. It's really funny. So funny. Yeah. Uh, and this, this, I think, is just him. At, and he kind of hung up his comedy shoes. He sort of, especially after when World War II ended, yes. he was in a different frame of mind, quite understandably. 100%. Yeah, I think there's a. I read an interview with him where he said, "Yeah, maybe I just didn't feel as hilarious anymore." Yes, <laughs> which makes sense. I mean, he was there for like the liberation of Paris, and he also like was at Dachau, like he, yes. Uh, so he saw yeah, some. Some of his footage some, was used in the Nuremberg. Yeah, yeah. he saw yeah. some heavy stuff, and he. But this is him just <laughs> at his best as a comedy director, and. It also has like subtlety of character to it, and yes, and uh, but the, the you know you know the premise of the movie is that this uh, sort of eccentric old guy, a retired millionaire, as he says, who's yes. in Washington on uh, business. Uh, there's a thing where there's a crisis and there's a housing shortage in Washington. Yep. So he 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 he, uh, he ends up renting a room from Gene Arthur. <laughs> I love Gene Arthur. <laughs> kind of forcing yes. his way in, in his way. I know. Oh, Gene Arthur is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and then once he's there, he finds out she's single. And so he decides to play matchmaker and a handsome, youngish Joel McRae shows up when Gene Arthur is at work. And he says, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we have a room. So he like rents half his space yes. to him without talking to the woman who owns the, you know, who rent, who's responsible for the apartment. Yeah. And uh, hijinks ensue. But there's a great sequence where she comes home. She doesn't realize that there's another man living in the apartment now. It's very oh sitcom. Oh, my God. It's so funny. And yes. there's this masterfully staged thing of physical comedy. It's classic farce because it's doors opening and closing where yep. Hoburn has done this thing, but he's still sheepish about the moment when she's going to realize it and how that's going to go down. So he's sort of worried about her discovering this thing that he decided to do mm -hmm. but there's this whole thing where they just keep missing each other <laughs> like yes <laughs> like it's going a back and sex forth. comedy with the yeah, exactly they're yes. like in separate rooms i think they have separate bathrooms and they're yeah and then there's a really brilliant sequence where they both open doors on opposite ends of the hall and Cobra is standing in the middle of the hallway and they pass each other very quickly but don't really notice each other. And then Coburn no. breathes a sigh of relief. And then we cut to, he's been brushing his teeth. We cut to him in the bathroom and he suddenly spits out the water. And then she does the most hilarious, she slides to a halt in her bedroom. Yes. <laughs> and the whole thing is really brilliantly staged and edited. It's like this master, and there's the first third of that movie is actually a lot of really funny physical comedy. It is. That he's yeah. really again, he's a great action director, and it's it's comedy action taking place in an apartment. It's not like Gunga Dean fight sequences, mm -hmm. but there's just really funny stuff that's brilliantly staged, like this wacky things like Coburn's pants get stuck on his suspenders and they fly out the window. And <laughs> but it's like all done with like Steven's kind of observational yeah. <laughs> focus, uh, which is the same observational focus he has at the end of woman of the year with a kitchen disaster. Like he, he has a very grounded approach to sort mm -hmm. of observing physical mayhem. And sometimes that's really dramatic when it's like in a fight. And sometimes it's really hilarious when it's in like a slapsticky comedy sequence. 
So yes. I think this is just a really successful comedy. It is. And you mentioned windows earlier and sort yeah. of observational humor. The pants this go out the, the window. Ultimate. Yeah. You have windows, <laughs> you have like walls coming down. Exactly. You have so many frames within frames. It's a sequence where he's locked out. She's brushing her teeth or something or putting on yes. makeup and he knocks on the bathroom window. It's great. Yeah. And this was right after he made Talk of the Town with Gene Arthur and Cary Grant. Which yeah, he loves Gene film. Arthur, who's in Shane again. Yes. She's, she, they're both excellent. She's a world-class comedian. Uh, he really and, is. Uh, yeah. And I think it's it's such a good mix. Joel McRae, of course, was wonderful in those Joel McRae is awesome. movies. And yeah. He actually wasn't sure he wanted to do it. He'd kind of been enjoying living on his ranch and doing that stuff. And mm-hmm. so they said uh, in this documentary I watched that Stevens went there. Yeah, I watched that too. Yeah. And he met Stevens and liked Stevens. He just basically. liked him as a person. Yeah, he just he liked kind him. Of connected. Yeah. He was like, ah, he was a regular guy. <laughs> he was. I know. And I love that McCray kept thinking like, well, they're just going to go with Cary Grant or something. And Cary Grant is in the remake of this Walk, Don't Run, which oh, is a right. really fun movie as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joel McCray was a very, you know, a very successful actor, but he wasn't yeah. like at the level of like Cary Grant or Gary no. Cooper. Uh, but it's kind of perfect that he, Joel McCray has a regular guy quality and that's part of the reason. Yeah. So he's kind of perfect. And then yeah, in the documentary, they also have Capra talking about the amazing scene where they kiss for the first time. I know. It's super sexy for, it's, I mean, a 1943. It is. Yeah. The, the scene is actually, later. the scene is explicitly about the sexual tension between them. It's already been established that they're fond of each other. Yes. And then later he confesses that he's fallen in love with her. Yeah. But that scene is just about how hot they are for each other. And it's also very it's comedic so because- yeah they're sitting and she's talking about her fiance who was like supposed to be this older, boring guy. Yes. You know, who's oh, like a Washington bureaucrat. Yeah. yeah. And um, he doesn't care what she's saying. Like he is thinking oh, yeah. on track mind and she's like talking exactly. about DC and her, you know, like her guy, like my en- engagement. Yeah. She's and like, and oh, and like, then no, yeah, he does. He's, really, he's a great. And she's basically talking about what a swell guy her fiance is. Well, yes. she's it's clear that she's, getting so turned on sitting on the stoop and oh there's my cat again sorry <laughs> and joel mccray is like giving her little kisses on the wrist and the neck and then there's a really funny moment where uh actually i think i wrote the line down because it's so funny she's talking about her fiance who she always calls mr mr prendergast uh yes. mr pendergast and she says uh she's talking about him and he's older and she's like that's the way it is with men like Mr. Pendergast. A girl gets to appreciate their mature, and then he kisses her on the lips, and they have this very heated moment of a prolonged kiss. And then mm-hmm. she breaks away, and she says, viewpoint. Like, she finishes the <laughs> sentence. It's she a really great going. gag. Yeah. yeah. That scene actually reminds me of the sex scene in a network where uh, Faye Dunaway can't where stop talking. talking. All yeah. she talks about is work. And, and they go on a date, and the she's talking awkward. about work. Yeah. They go on a stroll and they go to a restaurant. She's talking about TV and work. They go for a stroll on the beach. She's talking about TV and work and ratings. They go to bed together and she's having sex. And while she's having sex, she's talking about TV and work. And it's almost <laughs> like a forerunner to that scene where, you know, it is. Yeah, this is what's coming out of her. Last time. <laughs> yeah. yes. I know. It's such but, a good. Yeah. And uh, that movie really holds up. It's just really. But yeah, it's this combination of really great physical comedy and his interest in the human element and it all just works together beautifully. 
It really does. And then the next film, um, I read filmmakers, and this is one that actually won him an Oscar, A Place in the Sun, considered yes. one of the best films ever made about America, and it was based on American tragedy. And uh, it's incredible. You have Elizabeth Taylor, Shelley Winters, and Montgomery Clift. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is probably my favorite one uh, of his movies. Uh, the one I revisit the most, although Shane is getting a close, is it's kind of neck and neck with Shane yeah. right now. <laughs> yes, because watching Shane again for this, I thought, ah, Shane is so good. I hadn't seen it in forever. Yeah, just yeah. like actually, a Place in the Sun. So I was glad to have the opportunity to revisit both. But yeah. a Place in the Sun is so great, and it's sort of like the it's after World War II, where you know mm. he went, to, he was part of a unit that worked for the government, where he went overseas and shot the war, and then he yeah. was there for the end of the war, mm-hmm. and that had a very profound effect on him. And he just, uh, he was so gifted at comedy, uh, but he. He felt like, yeah, that's behind me now. I want to. Yeah. I just want to explore other things. Mm-hmm. And um, this is just an amazing drama. Yeah. I was reading about it. It also, like, uh, I didn't even know this, but uh, the book that it's based on is based on an actual event that happened, like, the early 20th century, where this yes. young man, like, went out in a boat and killed this girl that he, you mm-hmm. know, was engaged to or something. And meanwhile, he was having an affair with someone else. And yeah. So. But it's set in contemporary times. The film is from 51, and it's set after the war. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's, I, presumably, Montgomery Clift was overseas because he seems like he would have been, you know, that age. I believe so. Yes. But uh, it's a really masterful uh, drama that just has some of my favorite stagings of all of his films. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he He's a young man who uh, whose uncle is a well-to-do like women's garden is it just women's clothing he is a clothing manufacturer they make swimsuits for women mostly women work yeah yeah factory and mostly and it's a factory and uh montgomery cliff's mother yeah Yeah. montgomery cliff's mother is his is the the rich uncle's sister but she has devoted her life to sort of a christian charity work Mm -hmm. so he grew up without wealth or privilege Yes. But he decides to use this connection to try to get a job. And he starts in the, you know, just a, in a, yeah. a in a, a department where women are putting items into boxes that come on conveyor belts. And mm-hmm. Shelley Winters works in that department and they meet and end up going out together. And uh, they go on a date. Or, 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 he runs into her at the movies, actually, by That's accident. That's right. Yes. Where everyone else come, is making out another sexual tension. Sequence. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then uh, they they start sort of seeing each other. And then is it the first night that they meet that he spends the night? Or is that later? I'm no, trying to remember. it's later. He tries yeah. to get in there the first night. Yeah. Like, yeah. But then you there's can tell he's an amazing. And... She lives in an apartment and he... It's on the ground floor, you know, a little building, and her landlady is nearby. And she's like, oh, she doesn't like me to have men over. Mm-hmm. And he comes to the apartment, and it's raining. Yeah. And uh, she goes inside, and then through the window That's on the ground true. floor, she talks to him and says, well, it's been great seeing you again. And the radio is on. And she goes to adjust the volume, and she accidentally changes the station, and loud music comes on, like mm-hmm. marching music. And she's, oh, dear. And he sees this is his moment. So yeah. then he runs in, 
Oh, I think, yeah, she's actually, they're outside and she, the window's open and yes. she's been adjusting the radio from outside. So they're at the window. He runs in to fix the radio and he mm-hmm. turns it to a station that's playing like kind of cha-cha conga music. Yes. And then he makes a joke saying, oh, my landlady is funny about me letting people in because now he's inside and she's outside. Yes. And she laughs in a very, very natural way. And mm-hmm. then she goes back in. So now they're both inside. Yeah. And then they get close and it's very dark in the apartment. They it's haven't turned the lights dark. on. Yeah. The radio is an old radio that has a light in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. we see them sort of talking to each other and getting closer and starting to kiss. And then the, there's a very slow, very elegant dolly to the window. And yes. we're just hearing this music and we're hearing their voices fade. Mm-hmm. And then there's an optical and we suddenly see night, the rain stop, the music fades and night turns to day. And we hear a rooster in the distance. And then we see him walk down the steps. So they've spent the night together. And remember the first time I saw that movie, I was like, holy shit, that's a great sequence. Really clever. Yes. (laughs) Really clever and really evocative. And uh, also the classic thing of the restrictions of the time sometimes create extremely powerful moments that you wouldn't want to change. So In 1951, in a Hollywood movie, you couldn't show them waking up in bed next to each other, which is probably the way you would do it today. Yeah. But the slow dolly to the radio and then the optical effect of day turning into night and then him going down the steps in the morning is so powerful uh, and effective. Uh, Yeah. He's just, he's really good at that kind of staging. Yeah. There was one in Gunga Dean that I loved, um, a scene where early on when the telegraph operator is using like Morse code to alert that we're in trouble and we see the other side as they're getting the message. And then all of a sudden, you know, it cuts back and he's getting more frantic and then the, it stops making noise and you realize, uh oh, they're dead on the other end. I mean, George Stevens was figuring out shortcuts of how to convey story just with pictures and sounds. And it was in that editing, the brilliant editing. Yeah. And I yeah, yeah I remember that scene and that, that early scene, which is really just exposition, like we can't reach these guys, yeah. what's going on. Uh, and the acting is actually very subtle and real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the colonel going, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. But he just says it very simply and kind of matter of fact. Like, yeah, the thing that Stephen's power is that he's such a potent director and he has such a rich, empathetic sensibility. Mm-hmm. And he's just so good at staging stuff that he can, when he pulls back, he knows not, he doesn't have to put too fine a point on it because it'll be more powerful if he's sort of pulling back than if he underscores things. Uh, so those guys in that office aren't really raising their voices. I don't like it. What's they're they're very they're very quiet, sort of, mm-hmm. and it gives you a sense of tension. Uh, I think that's one of his great powers is that he a little goes a long way with him because he's such a he's such an accomplished director. Yeah, he can create these very very powerful moments by sort of like we said, letting things simmer. He takes yep. his time with scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he 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 likes actors to be natural, and uh, he he doesn't like to put too fine a point on things. Um, no, and, and yet he's also incredibly specific about composition and uh, 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 staging. Yeah, blocking, uh, figuring. But it he all out. he yeah. he has a, he when he sort of 
stands back. And that's part of the window effect is he loves characters. He loves these window scenes because like you say, it's a frame within a frame. It's also, it still acts as a sort of distancing thing. It and does. Another thing he likes to do is he likes to sort of block actors. Another extraordinary scene in A Place in the Sun, which is full of extraordinary scenes. And again, well, the boat, but I was going to say the scene where Shelley Winters, ba- basically for those who may not know, uh, he begins uh, he, he he begins a uh, a relationship with Shelley yes. Winters. They've slept together. Mm-hmm. They're basically seeing each other, but there's not supposed to be, they're not supposed to, People from work aren't supposed to uh, see each other. So yes. he's told that. He's like, you can't have, there's no relations with the girls here at, at work. Um, so it's it's got to be kind of a secret affair. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, because of his connection to the rich guy, he meets a rich girl Elizabeth played Taylor. by Elizabeth Taylor, who invites him to parties and they start falling in love with each other. So he's having this, and she's quite innocent. She doesn't know that he's no. he's in a sexual relationship no, not at all. With, with a working girl. Um, and there's, and, but he keeps seeing her and he's always saying to uh, Shelly Winters, oh, but I got to go because Mr. Eastman is, is might give me a raise. And, and, you know, he likes me and there's going to be work opportunities. So I have to go to these parties, but he's really just going to meet Elizabeth Taylor. Are you talking about the birthday sequence? Yeah. So there's a classic sequence where it's, Mm um, uh, much like the, the, the story element in the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, the main character has a birthday, I but know. is that a, but is that another thing? And comes in late, and the partner is very upset. It's a tried and true device. I know. And Montgomery <laughs> Cliff doesn't bring bags for anybody like Anne Hathaway does. That's right. Yes. But he comes back. He's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, I just couldn't get away." Yeah. And it's so sad. And she's sitting there, and she's got a, like a little cake, and she gives him a gift, which is a pen, <laughs> like a fountain pen. Yes. Because that's all she can afford. And then she sits down and the entire scene is one take. There are no cuts in the scene. It's just a master. Mm. And it runs almost four minutes. I timed wow. it. It's like three okay, minutes wow. and 50, which is a very long time to have no cut in a movie. Yeah. And basically he comes in there kind of, she sits down and then for the rest of the scene, after like the first 45 seconds, her back is to the camera. And then during the course of that scene with no cuts, she's, she's they're talking. She's like, oh, and she ca- she gets a sense that something's going on. She's like, well, there were a lot of pretty girls there. Yeah. Was that girl Angela Vickers there? Because Angela Vickers is Elizabeth. She's a socialite. I've seen her. She's seen her name her. in the picture yeah. of the paper. Like, oh, yeah, they were all there. I mean, they're fine. He's trying to avoid this. Mm-hmm. And then. And then she says, George, I'm worried. I'm really worried. And we oh, glean yeah. that she she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say it in that scene. But she's like, you know. In trouble, but yeah. I'm in trouble, she says, which is, yes, we know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and we never see her face. It's Her back is to the camera. She, they're sitting at this little table, and we see him, and we get how everything's closing in on him at this moment. Yep. But we also have a very strong sense of Shelley Winter's emotional state. Yes. And somehow it's even stronger, or it's just as powerful, more powerful, just seeing her back and hearing her speak than if you saw her voice. And she gets plenty of close-ups in the movie. Uh, yeah, she's a barrier. Like that is a- that is also just classic um, classic staging uh, yeah. by his part. Uh, classic Stephen staging. Where, yes. uh, um, because uh, it would be too unbearable. And I there's think, a distancing element mm-hmm. where, where she's saying these, I'm in trouble, and we don't see her face. 
we just see her back. Yes. That also brings the audience in. And then you're feeling an empathy for her. And you're also getting a sense of how his world is closing in on him. And the whole thing is done just with one. It's just one shot. One master. Wow. Yeah. And I wonder how many takes they did of that. I can't imagine. And then there's another scene where the, she goes to a doctor and clearly the she's heard he because he, he's found it. So they never say the word, but clearly the idea is it's actually very explicit for 1951. It all is. This stuff. Yes. But she's hoping that he'll give her an abortion. Yeah. And uh, it turns out he he knows what she's there for and he doesn't want to do that. Because uh, she isn't married. I believe that was the. the yeah. Barrier. Or they just got. Yeah. Information wrong. And this guy yeah, just doesn't yeah. do illegal abortions, yeah. you know. They can't be uh, that explicit in that. But yeah. yeah. And and she in that scene, and then the camera is totally on her in that scene. Yes. And she is so real and mm-hmm. emotional. And it's a very difficult scene, uh, you know, because yeah. she starts by lying She because she's self-conscious. She tells the doctor she's married. Then later she confesses she's not married. She just got knocked up, you know. Yeah. And she doesn't have a false moment in that scene. Shelley Winters is a wonderful actress, and she's mm-hmm. so powerful in that. And you can tell that Stevens loves what she's doing. And, yes. you know, he loves great acting. And she is, she's just, she's just being very, very real. And you really feel for this character yeah. in that scene. Uh, her performance is amazing. She was nominated for an Oscar. The sequence that I find like almost unbearable, and I think partly for those Stevens reasons of we're there and it takes so <laughs> Stevens long. reasons. Yeah, yeah Stevens <laughs> reasons of like patience and taking time. Yeah. The sequence in the boat. Yeah. Uh, her last sequence, because you see everything playing out as far as. He's taken her into a boat. He said that they're going to get married and you get the idea that he's thinking he would like to be able to kill her, but then he has second thoughts or she almost knows what's going on. Like you wish I was dead or I, I mean, he's, scared. he's planned the thing. It's she's already yes. mentioned earlier that she can't swim. He, he actually, yes. I mean, it he, is very, yeah. He goes there planning to do it and then and he then decides he's not going to do it and then yeah. there's a she stands up and she falls and she ends up drowning yeah and he does kind of he does chaffic quitting it he doesn't report this event exactly <laughs> and he like waits a minute and yeah yeah exactly but yeah. she's great and she gets some very close close-ups in that uh where oh, she's man. talking to him and you just see the desperation yeah in her face and she's because the fact that the doctor won't give her an abortion means she has to have the kid yeah. There's no other option. And so now he recognizes too. It's like, well, I have to marry this girl. Yeah. So this life that I'm dreaming about with Elizabeth Taylor and mm-hmm. that's all over now. And once they yeah. find out that I was with this girl, I'm fired from this place. My life is over. These dreams are are done. Yep. And uh, but she's talking about it won't be so bad. We'll scrimp and save. And uh, yeah. uh you know, I'm and she can tell that poor. he's not yeah. happy, but mm-hmm. oh, she's so heartbreaking in that. I know. By the way, the 50s is a hard time for Shelley Winters and water. Also, in Night of the Hunter, she also ends up dead under the water. <laughs> yes. Shelley Winters went through it, man, in the 50s. <laughs> and, in the, oh, yeah. and then early 60s, Lolita. yeah. Lolita yes. gets hit by a car. Um, <laughs> one of the great, great shots of all time, speaking of Lawton, the uh, the director of Night of the Hunter, where she's yeah. underwater, a shot of her in a car. Yes. Uh, She's been drowned by uh, <laughs> poor Shelley. Yeah, yeah, and her hair rising up in the in the in the yeah. water. Yeah, poor Shelley. She went through 
I know. He went through it. <laughs> she had the shooter boyfriend and he ran like, all the way. And yes, I mean. But we haven't even talked about, it. like, Clift, of course, is great. We all know Clift, Clift is great. Clift is amazing. Yeah. And it's a it's a perfect role for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, uh, and then also another person who is fantastic is, is Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. And that's actually one of, I think that's one of the first real sort of adult roles. Adult I mean, roles. she's she's like 20, 20 or 21 in the movie and the yeah. character is that age. She's a very young woman, but she is a woman. And this is, I think, like maybe one of the first ones was like Fa- Father of the Bride, where she's actually playing a young adult. Yeah. After being a kid actor for so many years, being MGM's big child actress, you know. Yeah. And she is, and she is such a powerful actor. She's incredible. I she love is. the scene where she, the first scene where they meet at the mansion and mm-hmm. he's, he's walked in, he's feeling self-conscious no one is talking to him he doesn't know anybody mm-hmm. he's also he's an outsider which is also kind of a theme of a lot of these characters in these movies shane it, is an outsider yes. mm-hmm. um and he wanted uh, cliff for that role so that's he a, did yeah that's yeah. right that's right yeah. uh and uh he he walks into an empty room where there's a pool table and then there's a shot of cliff doing a super cool like behind the back trick <laughs> shot where he yes. like the he hits the ball and it goes boop, 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 and goes in the hole. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. a, it's like, how many takes did they do of that? Because he, and then she sees that, and there's a very funny shot of her looking impressed. And then she walks in and she says, I hear you, ha- I, I see you had a misspent youth, which is a really funny line. Yeah. You, know, you, you spent your <laughs> For a young woman. You, yeah. yeah. Where'd you learn to play pool like that? You know? Mm-hmm. And then he says, are you on a joy to me? She says, no, no, I'll just watch you. So she's kind of keeping her distance, but it's clear from the beginning that she finds him very attractive, which is not surprising because it's yeah. Montgomery Cliff. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then Mr. Eastman walks in and uh, he's like, hey, how are you, George? By the way, have you called your mother? You know, his sister. And he kind of makes him call his mother. And then Elizabeth Taylor is sort of acting a little goofy. Yeah. Like she pops a champagne and the mother says, who's that? And she can hear the voice on the phone. And she says, it's me, mama. Yeah. Like she's being sort of, she's being gay in the old sense. of, of the Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's an immediate sort of chemistry there. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a light scene, but it's also a very powerful scene because you 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 really believe that they're attracted to each other, that they- Yep, they, the early, yep. Yeah. And it's also very funny. That's where there's a lot of humor in that scene. Yeah. Uh, where he, he can find his the humor, humor. and Yeah, he always does. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really a masterpiece. That's one of his greatest. That's I mean, that's one of the greatest like movies of that era or of all time. Yeah, and it's certainly one of his greatest movies. So yeah, I think <laughs> highly um, recommend it. <laughs> yeah, David Mamet saying it was like one of four. Of oh, I saw movies. that. Yeah. Yes, American. Yes, films. and another. I think he said it was one of four or five of the greatest. And another movie on that list is Galaxy Quest, which, which I made hardly me agree laugh with. So hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very, very funny. Galaxy Quest in a place in the sun. Hey, man. Yeah. I bet George Stevens would love Galaxy Quest. It's a top. I think he would get a kick It's an excellent comedy. It is. And the the characters actually have emotion to them. You know. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of about, you know, putting on a show, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot of fun. Yes. And, of course, um, anyone who's seen the film Matchpoint knows that they 
took a lot from i mean it's essentially almost a remake of this combined with like crimes and misdemeanors which oh is yeah i've never seen that one i've okay. seen less of the of the of the later ones by mr yeah, a yeah mr <laughs> he who must not be named exactly but yes i was mentioning it for people listening <laughs> and going wait a sec why is this familiar yeah oh, that's funny i didn't realize there was like a yeah american tragedy element to that yeah exactly and then after this he made shane so shane. he reunited with gene arthur and uh in this film he has alan ladd and van heflin and of course jack palance is such jack palance a good is so villain. great in this so good with apparently jack glove. yeah apparently yeah. jack you know jack elam the sort of guy with the wandering eyes from westerns in the 50s kind of a mm -hmm. A strange looking guy. He apparently was offered the role that Jack Palance plays. And he'd been a working character actor, played a lot of heavies. So it was kind of typecasting. And I I saw an interview with Jackie Lamb where he said, yeah, I read the script and the character only had like six lines. Because Jack oh, Palance doesn't by talk the dialogue. a lot. He went by the and he's like, yeah, my last movie, I had like 20 lines. So he's like, I'm not going to do this. And then it comes out and it's Shane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that Jack Palance's character is a gunfighter who's the silent type but he's incredibly menacing and that character really lands he does it's completely irrelevant that he doesn't have a lot of dialogue that's part of what makes him powerful it's it's better actually <laughs> oh, that he totally. doesn't because yeah. it's all like you know what he's bringing to it with his physicality but i loved jack elam counting the lines and going no yes. pass that's such an actory thing to oh, do oh my god yes. yeah it's like no it's it's movies <laughs> Who gets it's, more close-ups yeah it's not about the dialogue like gary cooper famously was like can we take this line out because he knew the power of not speaking yeah but this is a master. This is another masterpiece. He's really. It is. He's really. Uh, is these are back to back? Is this right after place, or is there anything in between? Let's like, see. Bring up the IMDb. <laughs> I know. I got to do the same. But uh, he's certainly uh, in the something zone. Something to live for was in between, which I oh, don't okay. know that film. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. But yeah, this is so great, and um. Another yeah, uh, Americana, you know, um, this was the same era that he made a giant where he reunited with um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor, of yeah. course. But, you know, and there's a lot to love about giant. It, he's working with a giant in terms of uh, James Dean, who's very Clift like. But I, Shane is the better film by far. And, you know, it's one I hadn't seen in like 20 some years it was actually one of the oh, westerns yeah. that made me really i grew up my parents loved westerns but i never really got yeah. into it until like my early 20s and then when i watched shane it was my um like my grandma's sister had all these videos of westerns and shane was the first one i watched and it really oh, made great. me think like okay i'm really into this genre now and it yeah it kind of started with shane and of course i love alan ladd i loved his noir films you know like yeah he blue dahlia this gun for hire and so it's good to see him I, he hated guns i guess if you like slow it right. down you see in one of the famous where he's teaching the little boy how to shoot his eyes are actually closed because alan ladd just really was yes yeah was worried around guns and, and there's so another funny factoid which is jack palance didn't like horses so. yes i read that <laughs> i know and both these guys so are doing have, a western yeah. together yeah <laughs> a guy who doesn't like guns and another one who's a little squeamish on horses little squeamish. and there's yes. yeah um so like you know uh uh shane is this gunfighter who kind of comes out of nowhere 
Mm-hmm. He's just riding and he comes across this homestead and there's this uh there's this uh it's sort of, you know, the whole Johnson County Wars era where like you've got your homesteaders and then you've got like your kind of land, your ranchers who are trying to take over the land. So you've got this rancher guy who's like trying to take over the land and uh and uh the thing I like is that it's it's funny, we mentioned Butch Cassidy before. Butch Cassidy, the theme of uh, theme in Butch and Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is that it's the end of an era. Yeah. It's the end of the old West. And that's also a theme in this, uh, at the end. A spoiler uh after uh, shane has killed the bad guys and is going to go off again it's actually very moving he's like well i tried this meaning i tried kind of hanging up my gun and he says it didn't work i have to go now and that's also yeah. the archetypal thing it's like john wayne at the end of uh at the end of the searchers has to kind of go mm-hmm. off these guys are always like quintessential loners it's an archetype but uh he he. Then he says, "But there are no more guns in the valley." And so, and I think that was also informed by, in its way, Stevens' World War II experience, where he like yes. he saw, he saw firsthand just the horror and the violence of you know war and the Nazis. And so, I think there's something about yeah, the civilization is going to move on from this lawless mm-hmm. Western world of gunfights and that that's this is this is an era that's going and and uh oh there's a great line uh where um he says uh you can't leave oh he's talking yeah i think he's talking about like uh uh he's talking to to uh palace's character during the final showdown and he's Mm -hmm. like i forget the language he uses but he says something like you know you're 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 in the you're in the past now, you know, yeah. your, your profession as a gunfighter, this is, it's dying. And he goes, and, and Palin says, I could say the same thing about you. And, 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 and Alan Ladd Shane says, yeah, but I know it, yes. <laughs> which is great, but also kind of sad. And there's also a great thing where after he kills Jack Palance, the boy who, by the way, is incredible. Uh, Brandon so DeWild who plays yes. little Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he's talking to Shane and Shane says about Palance's character, he was fast. And it, like, there's a sense of admiration. It's like gunfighter recognized gunfighter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, he was good at what he did. Yes. Uh, he wasn't fast. He wasn't as fast as me. <laughs> yes. But like, he was at my level. <laughs> yeah. And I like his recognition of even if you kill somebody for what you think are the right reasons, you don't move on from that. Like a killing stays with you. And <laughs> exactly. that kind of goes from World War yeah. II and just seeing all of that close up. And, no. And there's, yeah, yeah. there's, in a, it's like, it's, it's actually kind of like an anti-gun Western, which is it a is. funny yes. dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. He's a progressive uh filmmaker there he was, and he was progressive in real life when he was exactly. a member of the, when he was head of yeah, the director's guild the director's guild it was a famous Mankiewicz. meeting there's a very famous event uh, during the red scare where DeMille. uh <laughs> where demille who sounds like a real asshole yes. uh was red baiting directors and like calling yes. them by their foreign names and you know there were a lot of immigrant directors and things and and uh, he's like yes mr viler and you know he's using their yeah and and uh and Stevens basically called him out and said, This is bullshit, you know. Yeah. Stop stop trying to uh 
uh, stop your McCarthy tactics here. So he was he was on the he was on the right side, the correct side of history. I he should was, say. yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, he stuck up for because uh, he was the president of the Screen Directors Guild, yeah. as they called it in those days, and then it became the DGA. Um, and then he stuck up for Mankiewicz because of uh, DeMille, you know, red baiting everyone. Yeah. Yes. And that's the famous meeting where John Ford yes. famously also yes. stood against DeMille and stood up and said, my name is John Ford. I direct Westerns. Yes. Like Cecil, I admire you. You're a, you're a titan of this industry, whatever the language was. But I don't agree with you here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, it's Shane is so great. And it has a... Uh, Again, there's there's a kind of restraint to it, which doesn't mean uh, dullness. It's like the, the the action sequences are great. There's mm-hmm. oh my god, there's so many fights in this movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like oh, physical so fights. Many. Yep, and they're re- again like Gunga Din. There's a real sense of violence. It's almost like I mean, it's they're like Scorsese sequences where like violence will just explode in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, because he. Yeah, because Scorsese grew up on the in New York, and he saw that on the street. He would, yeah. so he knows what that feels like. And I don't know, Stevens. Stevens knows what that's like. Maybe being a kid actor with vaudeville parents, he saw he he was in a few taverns. You know. Yeah, I like <laughs> that you're linking that because Scorsese <laughs> loved westerns, and it was kind of westerns are crime films, yeah. street movies, same same. But thing. there is a sense of Stevens seems like a very gentle, thoughtful person who yeah. probably never got in a fight in his life, but somehow he, he has knows. a sense of how these things happen. And they don't yeah. seem movie fake. They really seem like something's going on and yeah. there's a sense of anarchy and violence to, to the fight scenes in this. Right yes. Yeah. And, and oh, the great Ben Johnson, who's so wonderful in this, is Calloway, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, one of the, uh, the members of the, ba- one of the members of the bad guys crew who then takes a turn at the end mm-hmm. and decides to help Shane. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and the homesteaders. But uh, when he's he's fighting with Shane in the beginning, he doesn't like him. He doesn't like these homesteaders. And there are these great shots of like close-ups of Ben Johnson fighting with like this bloody face that kind of yeah. pop in there that are so effective. And mm-hmm. yeah, also the editing in, in his films is really, really good. It is. Uh, yes. But yeah, this is great. And also, yeah, I got to say the kid, uh, Brandon DeWild, I think his name is. Yes. Uh, he gives an incredible performance. And the whole story is sort of seen through this little boy's eyes. And mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> I've said this before, but like the great child actor performances are in movies by great directors. Uh, children tend to have, there's a default quality to a lot of kid actors. They, they don't really understand acting. And so they sort of speak a certain way and they have a certain kid actor cadence, which they've yes. had since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cadence they sort of talk like this and they kind yeah. of describe things in this very poised way. And uh, in Frankenstein, the little girl has the pedals and she says to Frankenstein, these are for you. These are for me. And <laughs> TV commercials today are speaking that exact same cadence. That yes. Cadence hasn't changed in like a hundred years. Like but, how newscasters all sound the same. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and Brandon DeWild, first of all, he's got a great face, which is also yes. a very funny face. He's always looking sort of yeah. nervous or astonished <laughs> or in awe. He basically looks awestruck a lot of the time. Yeah. But he's very, very natural and very endearing. And I don't know what Stevens did to get that performance out of him. But mm-hmm. again, like Spielberg, 
children have always given great performances in Spielberg films. Yes, uh, very true. You know, obviously Henry Thomas and E.T. and uh, Carrie Guffey, who's the the very who's basically the toddler in Close Encounters, uh, gives an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, yeah, so and uh, yeah, the little boy in The Shining. Uh, uh, you know, these are all great directors who understand how to create an environment to mm-hmm. let a child because children children can't really act i mean some a few <laughs> a handful have kind of learned how to and, and then you have an occasional genius like shirley temple or something yeah uh, but um even she it's all about like this kind of supernatural poise that she has yep. that's strange but but granted the wild is just so beautifully used not in a pejorative sense just exploited yeah. not in a bad sense just Stevens, there's a mysterious aspect to directing where they just create an environment that allows seasoned actors Some kind of to create alchemy. things. Yep. Exactly. And Stevens just creates this alchemy with him and and uh um Lad and all of it. Lad, Lad is so good with the kid, and mm-hmm. you just you just buy it. And like if that if that kid was doing sort of stock kid acting, that movie would be Close to a watchable. It would grind to a halt. Yeah, <laughs> it would. It would. Yeah, but you really believe you get, and you get a sense of the indeed, and you get a sense of the inner life of that little boy. And yeah. I dare say that that little boy didn't necessarily understand acting that well, but he he's he's working with a director who knows how to create a world where we can see these things in his face. And uh, so, whatever he was doing, I don't know, but that's. That's another huge part of the movie is how great that performance is and how much, obviously, uh, George Stevens is responsible for that. I mean, clearly he's a talented little boy, but I don't know that he's quite as uh, transcendent in other films. <laughs> true. You know? Yeah, that's very true. And then our last film is Diary of, of Anne Frank, which I had never seen this version. I had seen like a newer one. Yeah. Okay. So this was a new one for both of us. And yeah, you know, I wanted phenomenal. to watch it yeah. when we were thinking about what to do. And then when I was, the more I read about Stevens, I mean, this is the most explicit reaction yes. to World War II, obviously, mm-hmm. since it's a World War II story. Also, Spielberg made movies about World War II. Stevens was actually there yeah. <laughs> shooting World War II. <laughs> And then he makes this, which I got to admit, I was a little worried going in because I was too. You have when this I saw thing, the running time, I thought, ooh. It's three yeah. hours. Yeah. You have a director who's getting older. He's not super mm-hmm. old yet. He's like in his late 50s. But mm-hmm. still, sometimes when directors get to the near the ends of their careers, uh, some of the spark isn't quite yeah. there. And it's a very serious story. But mm-hmm. I think it works beautifully. I think it it's really a great does. movie. And um, it's got all the elements that he's so good at. Uh, and it's funny because the nature of the film is that the characters have to be still through a lot of the movie. There's a lot of stuff that's very hard to, even though the story is achingly dramatic, yeah. it's sort of hard to dramatize with actors because like it was a play initially and in plays you're used to just people talking in rooms mm-hmm. plays don't have a lot of action physically you know some do but but yeah it's a different it's a different thing a movie is not a play nor should it be mm-hmm. and a movie that is like a play is boring and and this is from someone who loves plays by the way but yeah, they're different yeah. things so i'm like how do you stage this but 
his gift. So there are these scenes where they're just composed, like sitting in chairs or on the floor in the yes, in, so in many this, of those in this yeah. uh, attic, and they're um, and there's such a a, a kind of a, a reverberating. Uh, there's an energy. electricity. There's an yeah. electricity to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of these shots are just like the way he's very carefully placed people in the frame. So this is where like yes. all his gifts really come to the fore because these are people who it's literally a story about eight people who are confined in a small environment. So yeah. there's not, you know, there are no fight scenes. <laughs> there is verbal fighting, but there's not oh, yeah. like physical fighting. Mm-hmm. And then the tension, like, you know, the first real big tense moment is about an hour in where they hear a noise and it turns out it's a burglar because they, yeah. they live upstairs from the factory, the spice factory. Mm-hmm. But there's like so much stillness in this film, but it's such informed stillness. Like you say, such electric stillness that has such a pressure to it. And then meanwhile, the actors are all wonderful. Yes. Um, you have Shelly Winters again. Sh- Shelly Winters is back and her and uh, uh, Lou Jacoby, who are so great. And also they find a lot of humor with them, you know. Yes, they do. Um, yeah. The way they bicker with each other, with everyone else. Then the the, the brilliant casting of Ed Wynn, the comedian, as uh, the sort of sweet, well, kind of the ornery uh, uh, dentist who comes to live with them. Yeah. Uh, but the the ensemble acting is so great. And again, very, very natural. Uh, um, this is especially a thing where the thing I talked about where Stevens doesn't underscore things Mm -hmm. uh, the story he knows is so dramatic and he has such natural skills as a filmmaker that he that to underscore this would would not be good you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he just he keeps again that sort of very electric sort of observational quality that he has also, this is like the mother of all windows. The attic window is the oh ultimate Stevens window, the one yes. that has the most power to it because so it's much. literally the world yeah. outside, you know. Mm-hmm. And that window is very significant. So. Yes, <laughs> one of his great windows. <laughs> yes, it, the most. It, it's kind of the yeah. film he was building up to all of these, it is. Um, you know, experiences making movies, and then with his real life with World War II, and also just being an older man and having seen things and lived through life. I think he needed the patience. Um, I don't know. I mean, he was somebody who who was patient with his humor and, you know, letting tension play out. But I don't know if he would have made the same movie in his 20s or 30s. He might have been tempted to have people move around a little bit more. And, yeah, uh, and he just yeah. hadn't been through the uh, the experiences yes. he'd been through, but yeah. and it was a story he wanted to tell. But mm-hmm. everyone's really, really good in it. They um, are. I mean, Millie Perkins is probably the most Hollywoody of the uh, yeah, playing the title character. She's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I like her in the movie. She's uh, a little mannered. I think yeah. she's a good choice. Yeah, a little bit, and she's a but little she's bit. Mm-hmm. She's she's just she's the one who's sort of a little bit glossier than the others. A little bit, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's also very funny where there's literally a close-up of her talking to uh, the boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Bamer from West Side Story, who I think is excellent in this film. I he's think he's so really good. good. Yes. Playing uh, playing uh, uh, Pater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says to him something like, I know I'm not, I know I'm not beautiful. I know I'm not pretty. And it's like, I looked look like Lee Perkins yeah. like started out as a model and like yes yeah. <laughs> exactly it's like you're a very traditionally pretty ingenue yes. like yes. I know that's you're talking about what's in your head but there's also something kind of inadvertently funny about that 
a little bit like Joan Fontaine (laughs) playing Jane Eyre kind of thing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, I was really impressed with this movie. Um, Also, I loved uh, uh, Diane Baker, who plays her sister, Margaret, who is the later well-known as the senator in Silence of the Lambs, the mother of the girl in the pit. Oh, I didn't place that. Back to Baltimore. Yeah. (laughs) That's her. Uh, And she's really good and very subtle and uh, and quiet. Like she's not showy at all. And and, uh, but they're all really good. And he um, yeah, all the things that he's he's good at are applied to this and uh, and it works works. really, really well. Um, so much. Well, I know and there's a oh, I was just going to say, and there's another actually. It's it's the, the the scenes of tension and fear are extremely strong, but yeah. also there's a, a very lovely kind of light scene where they do Hanukkah gifts, and she's yeah, giving gifts so to everybody, beautiful. like she's you know the couple downstairs who help the out, you know, and yeah, all she's she's things. like cherry yeah. rigs some shampoo, and she's she's managed to get two cigarettes for Luke yes. Jacoby's character. But that whole scene has a very natural improvisational quality. That's also the thing that he does where you really feel like they're not just actors saying lines. It really feels like an event that's an happening. Yep. An ensemble. And they, they're they very natural. I forgot to mention it, but I got to mention one of my favorite scenes like that is in The More the Merrier where Joel McRae gives, um, uh, gives Gene Arthur the gift of a travel case. And again, it's 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 a scene where they're they're circling around their attraction to each yes. other, and they're just talking about this case. It's kind of like a parallel to the kissing scene where she's mm-hmm. talking about her fiance, but it's all about sexual energy. In this yeah. case, it's sort of about uh, they're circling around the fact that they're very attracted to each other. And mm-hmm. he's like, "Yeah, it's got this little flap. It opens up, and she's like, oh yeah, you can put magazines in here.' And it really feels improvised. <laughs> like, yes." And you don't actually see a lot of scenes like that in that time period. That's sort mm-hmm. of more of a trope today where there'll be a sequence yeah, in a film. where they let people go. Mm-hmm. Like a Judd Apatow movie or something. Yeah. But you can tell that they're kind of, he's kind of letting them go. And mm-hmm. it's it, it doesn't stand out as like in a jarring way. It just works really well. And I feel Natural. like the, the Hanukkah gift scene in this is also a moment where he's like, yeah, it just, it has a life to it and a spontaneity that seems uh, improvised, you know, for the camera. Uh, yes. and it, it just works really well. So he's kind of, he's, he's really good at everything. <laughs> he really is. This George Stevens. Yes. He's got a big future ahead of him. I think so. Yes. <laughs> well, I know that's all the ones we had time for, but you want to shout out a couple other favorites. I would go with, um, you know, vivacious lady is good. Swing time. Some of those. Yeah. I don't, I haven't, I've seen swing time, but not for years. I have to revisit that. I got to okay. say, I did watch giant again recently and I, I've had kind of a love hate relationship with that for years me too i'm sorry yeah. to say this but i think the main flaw with that is uh is mr hudson i think uh mr rock hudson is a bit of a lightweight uh mm-hmm. he does a kind of dated acting where it's just <laughs> sort of about talking like this and indicating the way i feel and uh, yeah. he's basically out acted by everyone, everyone else he's in scenes with elizabeth taylor and i mean elizabeth taylor has came up through the Hollywood system and has sort of qualities and cadences of actors of her time, actresses of her time, but she has such a strong inner life and she has such a strong sense of the reality of a given moment that 
she doesn't seem mannered. Whereas he, Mr. Hudson, tends to be the kind of actor who's like, my character would speak like this, you know? Yeah. He kind mm -hmm. of shows you being angry or shows you being offended or shows you what he's feeling as opposed to just feeling those things, which yes. is, you know what I mean? So he kind of, he kind of dictates to you while yeah. someone like James Dean in that movie, I think that's his best performance, by the way, in that movie, he lets you discover what's happening to the character. And I think you can, and one of my favorite scenes is actually, again, a very simple scene. That's the thing about Stevens. He's great at like crazy action and fights, but then he's good at like two people talking at a table to each other or sitting on a stoop, you know, mm -hmm. he's really good at that stuff too. But there's a lovely scene where Elizabeth Taylor comes over to jet uh, James Dean's little shack and they just have a little scene together in his shack. He like makes tea for her or something. Yes. You know? Yeah. And you can tell that they're both really enjoying acting with each other. Like they mm -hmm. really respond to each other. And yeah. they kind of they both come from very different schools because she came up through the Hollywood system mm -hmm. and he's more New York, you know. Uh yeah, the method and yeah. more New York the method, you know, and his heroes yeah. were Brando and Clift. And sometimes people accusing him of sort of imitating them. Of kind of yes. playing playing the style of the method, which I think he may have done, you know, at, at a times. Bit. Yeah, but I think in this, he's working with a great director who really like it's a good part for him too, and I think he's challenged by the part, and I think he finds his way into it in such interesting ways. Yes. Uh, so, but his style is very very different than hers, but the scene totally works. You you, you buy them as people who live in the same world. Mm -hmm. And who clearly he has like his character has a little crush on her yes. and she admires him. She's like, she's mm -hmm. not a snob, you know, she's, mm -hmm. you know, she comes from the wealthy, you know, she's part of this wealthy family, you know, yeah. marries Rock Hudson, but she, you know, and it, it, it really works. You, you really buy their chemistry and there's lots of great scenes in that movie. Yes, I just feel are. like there'd mm -hmm. be a lot more depth to it if someone like Robert Mitchum had played uh, Ooh, the Rock Hudson. That would be interesting. <laughs> this is what yeah. I was doing the other day. It was like, who from the time would have been good in this? You know, Brando, obviously, you know, but then it would be too much to have Brando and Dean in a movie together. It would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would just try to outdo it. Exactly. Understand what they're saying. But yeah, someone like Mitchum, like some very kind of masculine guy who also has a kind of real inner rage and Depth. who belongs on in that scene yeah. too yeah. yeah and can also play young and then get yes. older which you know so yeah but uh i but, like that idea yeah and then i think that giant is also a product of its time where there is an effort to make like these epics in the 50s to compete with tv you yeah. know it's in like mm -hmm. it's like a widescreen and and technicolor and three hours and also that's like three hours long as well mm -hmm. um so it feels a little bit like it's just not as tight as no. and it's not just because it's three hours because Anne Frank never lags at all. And no, that's three really hours doesn't. long. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just but I think he's. Yeah, so uh, God, dare I say it? I think Anne Frank is better than Giant just pound for pound. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. Yes. But I like I'm fond of Giant. I will watch it again. It's it's. I, it's I, one yeah, of those so, you find yourself going, "Am I in the mood?" And then you just you watch it. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a but, fascinating film. 
Yes. And George Stevens, what a career. I want to thank you so much for oh, thank you. This is so fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to come up with another idea. Your next uh, By deep all means. dive in somebody. Let yeah, me know. We'll figure something out. Yes, but thank you good. again anytime. Yeah. yeah. And I if to anyone who hasn't seen any of these on the list, they're all they're all ex- worth it. They're all uh yeah. Yeah. Top movies. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.